Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Basically Famous. Thanks for joining us. We're your hosts, Shelby and Tyler. Welcome to this week's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Basically Famous, where we talk all things boys' booze to the Bible. This week, we are joined by special guest Chris Ede, and so without further ado, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. I am uh, currently employed with Texas Farm Bureau. I'm a field representative there. I uh, have a family, my wife Charlotte and two kiddos. Reagan's five, Sutton's three, and we have a little side gig. We have uh, run the family sheep business that we have, raised sheep for show and things like that, so we're busy. Well, that's our first question. Where did you get this passion for the show industry and that part of the agriculture industry? Well, I've been around it my whole life. Uh, my grandparent, my grandpa raised sheep. Uh, Raised a bunch of them for show. In fact, I think in 1956, he had a championship in San Antonio. So he would always tell the story about how they just went out to one of the rancher's places there in Del Rio, picked up a sheep, took him to San Antonio, showed him, and he had the champion. And so I spent a whole bunch of time with them. I lived with my grandparents for a significant portion of my life. And, uh, you know, it gets in your blood and it doesn't leave. So what did you do after high school in the ag industry? Um, I graduated in Uvalde in 2004. I went to Texas A&M. I was on the wool judging team my freshman year. I coached the, helped coach the wool judging team my sophomore year. Uh, and then I was on the livestock judging team. Um, I worked at the sheep center there for a little while. And Graduated from a in 2008. I went to Angelo State and got my master's there. And then after I got my master's, I actually got on board as an instructor and uh, judging team coordinator. So kind of recruited coaches, recruited kids, helped coach when I needed to. And I taught freshman animal science and uh, did that for a few years there before I moved back to Uvalde. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your sheep operation and what that looks like and kind of what it entails. Most people on here are kind of what I call a weekend um, rancher. So they have a full-time job and they're running their operation on the evenings, on the weekends and holidays and things like that. And so how do you make all of that work? Well, we have lights in the barn. That helps um, because it gets to be where you can't just do it sometimes on the weekends or, you know, just after work and, I'm fortunate enough to uh, have a very supportive wife and family who it's kind of a team effort. And, you know, you always hear it takes a village and we've sure got that, but we probably run about, I don't know, we're probably going to breed. Well, before the drought, we were going to breed 185 ewes and we're probably going to breed somewhere around 150 instead. Uh, which those numbers are probably down from where we want to be and where we were, but we're really trying to focus on, 
not necessarily quantity, but quality. We try to make those things as good as we can. Um, we, we typically focus on raising fine wools, fine wool crosses. Uh, that's what we like. That's what, uh, you know, that's what I grew up showing and being very competitive in. It's really a big passion of mine. And, and uh, now we got Reagan. Reagan's showing a little bit in the summer here or there. But that's kind of, you know, it's a full family deal. Even even during the work week, you know, if we need to get something done, we flip the lights on. Reagan will come out and help me or Charlotte will come out and help me. And we'll just get it done. I mean, it's just uh, I'm fortunate enough to have that support base to help get that accomplished. So tell our listeners a little bit about how we met. And then I'll tell our listeners kind of how you play a role in what I do now. So uh, when I was at Angelo in 2013, um, my grandpa had passed away. And uh, it's kind of one of those deals I felt like I needed to move back. Um, I would say in 2013, we were as competitive as a breeder as anybody. I mean, we went through a stretch there where we won lots of shows and he was obviously an integral part of that. And he was an integral part of the club lamb industry in Texas for decades. And, uh, he had passed away. And so I moved back to kind of take over that and, uh, that portion of the family business. And to be honest, um, as we moved into that, I realized that I was probably not going to be able to make a living only raising sheep. Um, there was a lot of things that contributed to that, um, but I did realize that, you know, I was fixing to get married. Charlotte and I just got engaged and I moved back. And uh, so there's that. And I needed a job and uh, actually uh, went to work for the, the Valley County Fairplex for a little while. I managed that for like 60 days. Um, but I've always had a passion for kids and I, I didn't like, I wasn't getting enough out of it. Personally, wasn't good enough out of it. I didn't think I was getting the help to people that I needed to help. And we actually held a school function at the Fair Place for uh, Uvalde CISD. And one of my old coaches goes, man, you sure you don't want to coach and teach? We've got a whole bunch of openings. And Coach Griffin, who was my coach in high school, actually bought feed from his parents because they own the feed mill. And uh, I was like, oh, that would be cool, but I don't know if I could – get on. So wrapping that up, I get on at Uvalde and I teach there for a year and, um, a spot opened up in Brackettville and I got to do that. And I worked in Brackettville. Um, I was, a I taught animal science. We did some dual credit stuff with ASU, uh, taught a couple other ed classes, coached football and baseball, you know, typical small school deal. We got to drive the bus for field trips and all that fun stuff. But so that's probably, you know, known you and, and, and your family for a long time. Uh, but we're, I would say we really got to know each other. So when you took my class and, uh, or classes, all of them, you were the first one to take them all. Uh, and so that's probably where I would say we really got to know each other, you know, and it's, uh, been a blessing and, you know, I wasn't sure I'm from Uvalde. I lived in Uvalde and all my family's graduated from there. Wasn't sure I really wanted to do that. It was maybe more apprehensive than I originally thought going to Brackettville, but it was obviously a, a blessing in disguise and, and one of the greatest moves that I've got to make. So um, that's probably where I would say that we met, or I don't know about met, but that's where we would probably uh, 
furthered our relationship. That's probably how I'd say it. So, so I did take all your classes and then I had taken them all. So I couldn't be in them. So I TA'd my senior year and Mark, the class was my brother and his three friends or four of them. And we learned a lot about relationship advice. Some that I would not contribute to be good relationship advice, but some was. But I would say um, Coach Ed was the first person in my life who told me I could be in agriculture and not raise livestock because I didn't want to come home and run the ranch. I had a brother for that. And so you were kind of the first person who was like, you could do other things besides that and really sparked a passion for ag policy in that realm of things, which isn't exactly what I do day to day, but it's still something I'm super passionate about. I think everybody misses the boat on agriculture sometimes. It's the world's number one employer, whether we want to admit it or not. It is the world's number one employer. And when agriculture is good, the economy's good, people are good, the world's good. Everything's just everything's just so much better. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now, because we have terrible policy. And it's not a political statement, it's just a fact. It's terrible terrible economic policy. Input costs are high. We're in the middle of probably the second worst drought in the history of the state of Texas, at least in this region, if not the worst. I mean, it's, it's really pushing the one of the 50s. And so we're looking at high input cost. We're looking at minimal output. And, and there's just so much against everybody in agriculture. And I'm, and I'm specifically talking about the farmer and the rancher, the producer, the people who have to buy everything at retail and sell it wholesale. But the only people in the world have to do that for their business. And you get to thinking, well, it's just farming and ranching. So we have that group. Well, they're selling it to restaurants. They're selling it to food manufacturers. They're selling it to feed stores. They're selling their product to clothing stores, to textiles, to whatever you want it to be. And that web just goes out, 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 out. And it becomes, you know, the biggest employer in the world. And you can see it everywhere. You see it in Ukraine. You can see it with what they got going on right now and how that's affected the economy a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, Tyler, I hope you continue to push towards policy because we need people who have knowledge of what's going on to be able to talk to these folks and teach. And, and that's probably the biggest downfall of agriculturalists is we've done an absolutely terrible job of informing the public of what we do. And that's kind of why we get this, well, we're in a drought, our swimming pool doesn't have any water in it, the farmers don't need to be watering. Well, do you want to eat or do you want to swim? You know? And how far do we want to take that? I mean, that, that could go on and on and on. But my point being is we need people to be able to educate. We need to do a better job of telling our youth, but we need policy that's going to help us, not policy that's going to hurt us, not not policy that's going to tie our hands to where instead of an input cost of acre being an example of $5, it now being $500. Because now when you go to HEB, that carton eggs that was once $2 is now $12. And my salary hasn't gone up. So it just hurts. You know, it hurts people. It puts pressure on everybody and things like that. So we got to have it, and I hope you continue to go that direction. And I hope, hope more, pe more people wake up and realize, hey, agriculture is not this big evil monster 
adding carbon to the world. In fact, we can decrease as much carbon almost as we put out. And um, we just got to do a better job of letting people know what we do. I totally agree with that. And part of the reason I wanted you on the podcast is you love America. You're very patriotic and you're very passionate about what you believe in. And so why are you so passionate about America? I do love America. And it's the greatest country in the world. And as much as maybe I'm displeased with the direction that we're headed maybe right now, um, it's still the greatest country in the world. What other country can you talk bad about it, degrade, say how awful it is, and then possibly get a trade for the world's largest arms dealer for somebody who was downplaying American come back and everybody be okay with it? You know, the whole Brittany Grinder situation. And then we have the fact that we really have the opportunity to make out of yourself what you want to make. And so when I was growing up, I was born in 1985. So when I was growing up, like America was it. Big guns, big trucks, big horses, whatever. You know, the whole uh, guy riding the bald eagle out in the sunset image of America was everywhere. And that's, I guess I just grew up thinking, you know, hey, we're, we're the biggest, the baddest, the best country in the world. And what's wrong with that? And so we've taken a little bit of a turn. Um, you know, we've had some folks try to apologize for us being that way. I don't know that we need to. I think we just need to remember, you know, that this is the greatest country in the world. And if you don't believe it, guys, we can drive 50 miles to the west and you can see a beautiful country with some really great people. But you can also see the struggles that they have that we don't have day to day. And so I think that's that's something, too, that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we've, I've read it. I, I was listening to the guy on Shark Tank. You know, the he's uh, the black guy with the earrings. He used to work for the Kardashians. I can't think of his name. But anyway, he was telling the story. Pretty big Shark Tank fan, by the way. If you, if you just, I don't know why, you just sit there and watch it. And I think it's because I wish I just had a, you know, I'd like to go on there. You think I could put my sheet business on Shark Tank? I don't think it would work out for no. you, but you could try. Like, could you see me and Mark Cuban rolling into the Houston Stock Show together watching our sheep show? Uh, but anyway, so this guy was telling his story. And he said, my great-grandpa had to walk 10 miles to go to work every day. And my grandpa walked five miles to go to work every day. My dad drove a Ford. I drive a Cadillac. My son doesn't have to drive. But his kid's going to have to start walking again. And I said, what do you mean? Why does he have to start walking again? He goes, because we can't forget that it's the work that got us to where we're at. And I think that, you know, that like sums up America to me. You have an opportunity. Now, granted, I might have a step up on you here or there just because of what has gone on before me in generations of my family. That doesn't make me better than you. That doesn't make me entitled or privileged or whatever word that, the craziest want to put on it. It just means that I have to maintain that work ethic that was before me to stay where I'm at. Or if I'm not there, I've got to surpass you, you know, and America gives you that opportunity to work as hard as you want to go get whatever you want to get. If you don't want to work at all, then you're going to get what you're going to get. 
if you're going to outwork the guy next to you, then maybe you'll get that spot. But you have the opportunity. It's not a communist regime where they say, you're going to be a butcher, you're going to be a dairyman, you're going to be a taxi cab driver. No, I want to be a sheep farmer. So I'm going to go to work to where I can build this thing up big enough to where, hey, maybe one day I can quit my job and just farm sheep. Maybe that's what I want to do. You know, what do you want to be? You want to be a lobbyist? Then you're going to get after it, you know, or whatever it may be. So I think that's what frustrates me with maybe the climate that we're in right now is hear a lot about privilege and things like that. Maybe I'm not supposed to understand it, but at the end of the day, America is, is, is truly free. We're free to think, we're free to say, we're free to do, but you got to go do Like It's not going to get handed to you. And I think that it's also something that we don't ever need to forget is everybody wants to be the top dog. Like they're trying to knock you out. We're the top dog. We're still the top dog. We still are. We're still the best country. We're still the most powerful. We still have the most money. We may be in a little bit of disarray. You know, it's kind of like when you're playing a game and you're playing this team that, hey, they're coming after you. And you're like, whoa, hey, we got to call time out and kind of get together. And that's kind of where we're at right now. But it's coming back and it's going to come back. And everything's going to be fine as long as we keep working. You know, as long as we keep working, keep doing what we need to do. I think that's what makes America so great. So what is something you would encourage our listeners, our average listener is 19 to 25, to do to be more patriotic or just to be a good citizen? I think the first thing you need to do, you you need to attempt to find God. If you haven't found him, just make the attempt. Give a try. It's not going to hurt anything. Because let's think about Think about 1776. On one sheet of paper, rewrote down some laws, said we're going to run a country. It is 2022, and we're still governed by that original set of laws for the most part. And you're going to tell me that a bunch of folks that were upset because they were having to pay too much taxes got together and revolted and beat the most powerful country on the earth at the time, or one of the most powerful countries. Without some sort of divine intervention, that's what country, this country was founded on. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's what it was founded on. And so I think the first thing you need to do is that. Like you need to find him and you need to read. And I'm not talking about this, you know, unicorn, fairy dust, everybody love everybody stuff. And we do need to love everybody. But loving everybody and then inclusiveness are two totally different things. I don't push my belief on you. I, I'm not doing it right now. I'm telling you to look at it. You don't like it? Cool. But you just might want to look at it. Right? So once you find that and you read the Old Testament too, because that stuff, that, some of that stuff in that Old Testament now, like that's wicked. I mean, there's some fire and brimstone stuff in there. It's not everything's okay. Not everything's roses. Because it wasn't. And life's not made of roses. That's something else you probably need. It's not all roses. And if I could go back to being five years old again, like watching them play in that living room right now, just being five years old and not having a care well would be great. But I think if you find God, just talk to him. I think the rest of it falls into place. I mean... Really sit back and appreciate 
man, I live in a country where I can go to Texas A&M or I can go to that place. What's that place in Austin? I can't remember the name of it, but we could go there. Or you could go to Tarleton or you could go wherever you want to go. Or you could say, you know what? I don't even want to go to college. I don't want to go to college. I want to be a welder. I want to be a rancher. I want to be a farmer. I just want to work on tractors. I want to open a restaurant. You can do whatever you want. You know, sit back and think about that. And then, like I said, start looking at these countries that you think have it so great and realize, man, like we really have it pretty, as bad as it can get, you really have it pretty dang good. And I really don't know how else to put it. I mean, I think there's so many parallels, so many similarities between, you know, your faith in this country. And I think it all goes together. And then in this state, too, I mean, Texas in particular, you know, is really trying to, it may seem radical, I guess, to some, but I really do think they're trying to do the right things. And I don't, radicalism is, is, is no good one way or the other, left or right. Radicalism is no way. But at the same token, values don't change. You know, values don't change. So you're sitting here trying to say, hey, you've got to be okay with this. Well, that was 200 years ago. You know, I mean, I'm going to use this as an example, and then I'm going to let you go to the next question because I'm getting off in the woods. But, you know, like the, the Little League game where the kid from Texas hit the kid from Oklahoma and the kid from Texas started crying, and then the kid from Oklahoma came and gave him a hug. And everybody, that's the best display of sportsmanship ever. And I'm not saying it's not. And I don't want to take away from the fact that he saw another kid was hurt at one of those, okay? At the same time, the kid got hit in the helmet. He was fine. There's no reason to start crying about screwing up. The world's not roses. We're going to screw, screw up daily. That's my wife. Screw up when I wake up in the morning, right? I'm just kidding. But, you know, we kind of got to get back to that. Values don't change. And I'm not saying it's okay to hit a kid in the head. I'm not not trying to take away with that. I'm using this as an example. Is we've got to get a little tougher. Like, culturally, have got to get tougher. The kid was fine. Cool. Let's move on. I'm going to get up there and throw the next pitch. And that's what you're going to have to do in life. Like, you got to get up and throw the next pitch. Oh, screwed up. I threw this one over the backstop in front of everybody. I literally just messed up in front of everybody. You're going to have to throw the next pitch. You can't just lay down and take it. And I think we've gotten away from that. Like We've gotten away from this toughness mentality of, well, those are the boomers. Isn't that what it is? Those are the boomers. They get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and drink their coffee. They, <laughs> you know. they drink their coffee black and take a cold shower. We talk about that all the time. Right, exactly, <laughs> which I don't take a cold shower. I do like my black coffee. I'll read a newspaper, but, but anyway, my point is we, that generation, that generation literally won a world war and saved the war, saved the world from communism. So I'm not saying everything about that generation is great, but there's some pieces there that we've sure missed. Those are awfully big pieces. And think back, I was thinking about this, you know, you, you told me we were going to do this thing. I was thinking about this on the way over here. I'm sure you can cut and paste this wherever you need it, but I was thinking about this on the way over here. My great grandparents, I, I was, I was, you know, 
in college by the time they died. And you th- think about that generation. My great-grandmother got in a covered wagon and went from Pearsall to Sabinal to Comstock. And her dad got on a horse and rode to Laredo, Texas in 1917 and became a Texas Ranger. So take her, 1917. She goes through a depression, two world wars, a drought, creation of the internet, first black president of the United States. You think about that generation and what they had seen and what they had, what, you know, what they had witnessed and sure, maybe some of their beliefs, you know, like the societal beliefs were different, but when you talk to them, everything was about survival. And that was that, that was their mentality. Like that's how far this country's come. That was their mentality. We've got to survive. They used to tell the story about they worked for the county judge in Crockett County in Ozona and they got paid $50 a month and got given a goat. Like that was that was their wages. And now we're griping because minimum wage wasn't passed at whatever, $15 an hour, $18 an hour. We, we've just forgotten how to survive. And we've forgotten that we have to help each other. And we've forgotten that we, that, you know, White, black, brown, red, purple, green, blue, gay, not gay, whatever it may be. Like, we're still all trying to survive. We can still help each other. We've just missed that. Like, I don't know. I used to, I, we've lost a lot of our grit as a society. And I know that's a long way from Little League Baseball. But my point, you know, I get it. He's, he's a little kid. He's shook up about it. I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying that my example would be, hey, you got to the next pitch. Those people did that. The people that came before us did that. We're sitting in a nice house today because the people before you did that. You know, we've got to do that for our kids. You're going to have to do that for your kids. And people ask me, well, why do you think, why do you really think, why do you vote this way? Why do you think this way? Why did you do this? Why did you not do that? I mean, the Bible talks about your children's children. Like we're thinking right. three generations deep. And, you know. Why did you not want to do that? Why, why are you not going to do this? It's for my kids. Or I'm doing it for my kids. You know, I mean, you you got to play the long game here. I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. But I can tell you where I'd like to be five years from now. You know, and then where you would like to be five years from then. And then you got to keep going that way. You know. Because right now, whatever decision you're making right now, you're going to reap that decision in five years ish, you know, right in there somewhere. So, where are you at? And I just think 19 to 25, if I go back and do a few things over again, I definitely do them, but I don't regret anything that I did. The best thing that I did was network. And I'm not talking about like, patting people and kissing babies and shaking hands. Like just literally getting to know people. Getting to, and sometimes I wished I was a little more active on campus. I wasn't like one of those two percenter Aggies. I, I would I'm like maybe 78%. But, and I love a I didn't even apply anywhere else. That's where I wanted to go. 
Um, but it's okay to be active. It's okay to do things. And it's dead gum sure okay to stand up for what you believe in, even if I don't. But when you do that and you make your stand, you got to sit down and be able to talk about it. Like a grown-up. Not poking fun, not throwing names, not calling people. Not burning buildings down or throwing rocks either. You just got to stand up and just be adults and talk about it. And at 19 and 25, that can get real confusing. I can see how it would be terribly confusing right now to be in college. Terribly. Like, but I do wish that maybe I was a little more active on campus. Network. Find God. Find your grit. You know, and I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to say that, I guess, you know. What's your why and all that? I mean, I think we spend a lot of, we spend so much time. Like I hear these these people talking. Everybody spends so much time. With, my 12-year-old's got a baseball psychiatrist. Like we spend so much time worried about our mental health, I think, sometimes that we become mentally unhealthy. You know, like go live your life. You're 19 to 25. I don't know what it is. About Thursday nights at the chicken used to be dollar twenty-five long star long necks, which I'm sure they're not dollar twenty-five anymore. Or you could buy a bucket of them for five bucks. Like that's cool. Go do that. Right? I'm not saying go do that and drive or anything, but but go buy you a bucket of beer and some Tijuana fries and go meet somebody. Because that person may end up being governor of Texas. I don't know. Don't be afraid to network. Don't be afraid to stand your ground, but and course you know try to find god so our last question on the podcast is our standing question with every guest and it is if you had a billboard what would be on it and why um it's the hardest question i've ever been asked i think i've been thinking about this because there's so much that you want to say you want to leave your legacy you want to your kids to see that know that you put it on there or not. First of all, my billboard would be maroon and white. It's got to be, you know, there's, you don't have a choice. It's got to be maroon and white. I'll make Reagan happy. Um, can't have anything controversial on there, so I got to make my wife happy. And Sutton's just going to be happy as long as she's got some ice cream <laughs> or tortilla or tortillas. I think what I would do, and it's kind of going to kind of, I guess, go back to what I've been saying the whole time. I think I would make a maroon and white billboard that just said win. W-I-N. Like, it's okay to win. It's okay to be the best. It's okay to work to win. It's okay to want to win. You don't have to apologize for winning. Not everybody gets to win. There's winners and losers. There's losers in, in life. There's winners in life. When you don't win, we don't complain about it. You know, you just got to go win. You got to go get it. I used to love the San Antonio Spurs. Used to. Like, you know, Timmy, Manu, Tony Parker, Bruce Bowen. All, I mean, I, I like rarely miss the game. And I like basketball. Like, basketball is probably my least favorite sport. Well, I mean, one of them. But... I used to love watching the San Antonio Spurs. So, of course, growing up, I despised Kobe Bryant. You know, like, you just didn't like that guy. You know? And um, one thing about Kobe Bryant, that guy's a winner. And I mean a competitor. 
and he told a story one time. I, th I thought about this on the way over here. It's one of my favorite stories. He said, you wake up at 10, you eat breakfast, you go train till about one o'clock, come home, you know, relax. Kind of sit around, go back out about four o'clock, you train four to six, come home, eat supper, and you go to bed. So you got to train twice. Or you can get up at 3 a.m. And you can get up in the morning, have your cup of coffee, whatever, kind of get your, get your mind right. You can train from four to six, come home, relax, and train again, you know, nine to 11, come home, eat lunch, train again from one to three, come home, train again from five to six. Now, I just have just trained over twice as much as you trained by getting up at 10. So it really doesn't matter what you put into the summer or off season or whatever it may be. In five years, I have now out-trained you so much that you'll never catch me the rest of my career. And he used to say that. And so I think that like that's really something to take away. And he said he just wanted to win. You know, Derek Jeter was the same way. Derek Jeter, you know, he's like famous for saying, hey, I was upset when we lost the World Series after 9-11. You know, for obvious reasons, but and the, and the reporter said, but you know, we're in the World Series, is what we lost. You know, like it's okay to have that mentality. And the successful people, for the most part, whether it be farming or ranching or baseball or basketball or whatever it may be, business. I mean, those guys got that that dog mentality. You know, hey, I'm gonna win, and I'm gonna do you know, whatever ethically it allows me to do to, to win. And so I think that would be it because I think if we would get back to that mentality as a whole, instead of woe is me, then we would get back to, to really rolling. And I think everything would just be better. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, are you going to be complacent and sit around or are you going to try to be better than me? You know, I'm not going to let you be better than me. And so it just makes stair steps its way up to everybody just being better, better people, better competitors, better business, everything just be better. So a maroon and white wood billboard that says win. That'd be it. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it and your time and your knowledge. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this. I appreciate it. It's quite the honor. I've never been on a renowned podcast like this before so i'm excited thank you y'all be sure to follow us at basically famous podcast and if you're interested in coach Eid, you can follow him on facebook at ellage livestock and we'll catch you next time